It's not unusual to find plenty of wine caves and wine cellars in wine country. What is unusual is discovering a sophisticated broadcast facility inside these well-protected and often top-secret chambers. But maybe it really isn't that surprising that America's number one wine broadcast originates from the soul of wine country. And it is our great privilege to do all we can to inspire you. If you drink wine simply because, well, it's a drink, we've got our work cut out. For literally thousands of years, wine has fueled celebrations, ended conflicts, and provided the ultimate connection between one human being and another. It makes food taste better, lifts spirits, sparks our imagination, and beckons us to slow down and love life. If that all sounds good to you, you're in the right place. So sit back, clear your head, put any worries you have on hold, and join us as we go in search of this week's Grape Encounter. But be warned, we speak a much different language than what you typically experience in most wine-centric environments. But you didn't come here because you're ordinary, did you? Good, because your host, David Wilson, is here to take you far, far away from the beaten path. Here's David. Well, I got to tell you, the biggest challenge of living during the COVID-19 crisis is trying to find that silver lining and trying to have fun. And of course, that's what Grape Encounters is all about. And, you know, we try to stick to the bright side of life, even when things are very dark outside. There is a guest that I have on who was one of my very first guests when we started about 12 years ago. And he is a barrel of monkeys. He's <laughs> a, a barrel of fun. He is a winemaker on the central coast of California in the Santa Inez Valley. His name is Ross Rankin, and he has a winery called Imagine. And the first time that I met him, I fell in love with him. Not in that kind of way. No, but we just, ha- we were simpatico and we just think so much alike. And earlier this week, we had just a terrific conversation after some years of not talking. There's so much to say about his wines and his attitude. Ross Rankin of Imagine Wines. Welcome, man. David, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It is great to come back. And, you know, I'm I'm glad that you finally got around to me after 11 years. <laughs> right, right. We've had literally thousands of guests on since we did that interview with you. And we try to be, you know, fair and spread the love, right? And you got famous and I didn't. Well, no, you're, you're very famous. Are you kidding me? I'm extremely famous in a 10 square mile area. Well, okay. But, you know, you, you got a pretty interesting resume. And, and by the way, before we jump into Imagine Wines, one thing I did want to mention is the fact that you really, your main career for most of your life is medical supply, right? And you still have that company. And it's been very active during this crisis. That's right. We've been in business since uh, my father originally started in 1955. And I've been wow. doing it since I was 21. And that's been a long time. And during this crisis, we do primarily uh, storage equipment in hospitals. And we've had just an onslaught of customers who need isolation carts and crash carts and wire shelving and various other things. So we've been busy doing that. And it's very difficult for the hospitals because their revenue sources have dried up and yet they're having to spend money on this and many other things in order to handle the crisis. The good news is that in Southern California, we haven't been quite as impacted as elsewhere in the country. So hopefully we'll remain that way and uh, 
Californians will still shelter in place and drink wine and be happy. So, first of all, I, I just wanted to mention, as, as far as the medical supplies are concerned, that I guess it kind of opens my eyes to the idea that it isn't just masks and you know protective gear and ventilators. Everything else the need goes up for as well, right? Yeah, supplies in general, all the various things that they need, and they have to be very close to them. We have one customer who ordered 300 carts, and the only purpose of the cart is to have cleaning supplies on them so that they can double, triple, and quadruple clean everything in the rooms where the patients are or, you know, or any place like ERs where they may have COVID-19 patients. So that's a very big expense to them and also having the people to do that. So it is a very complicated system to be able to take care of a pandemic like this. I think it's just something important for people to realize. Now, let's shift gears because we get a heavy dose of COVID-19 news you know, every minute of every day right. right now. You're a very interesting kind of winery because you don't necessarily follow uh, the mainstream pattern. You're selling directly to the consumer. You are not in stores, right? Are, I don't even know if you're Correct. in. Are you in restaurants? No, we are not in stores. We do not sell to restaurants. We sell directly to our existing clients. And then we get new clients primarily through our tasting room, which is in uh, Buellton, California. Right. And of course, now we've been shut down for six, seven weeks now. But our clientele has been very helpful. They have bought a significant amount of wine via mail order. I think people have had a lot of time on their hands and cocktail hour starts at four. So we've been very, very blessed to have people ordering from us online. And not really online. Uh, We don't have a store on our website. The winery consists of my wife and I, and we answer the telephone and everybody, most everybody that orders from us knows us. They've been here yeah. and they like our particular type of wine. And I like your particular type of wine too. I've had the opportunity over the years to share a bottle with folks. What I do think that people probably really love about your wines is they're big wines that'll slap you across the face. They don't sit back in the corner. They're not shrinking violets. Well, the kinds of wines that I like and and make are big red wines. We also do make white wines. But we do some very traditional methods in that we pick grapes very ripe where you get a lot of flavor and because we are not concerned with our alcohol level, whereas a lot of the commercial people were when it was a 14% and the federal tax triples. It's now at 16%, so that has changed, and that's because of climate change. I've got to stop you for one second, okay? Because while you and I know what that means, I'm not sure that the average listener does. When okay. the percentage of alcohol exceeds 14%, or at least it used to be, the amount of tax that you paid went up, right? It triples. It triples. So that's why it's an incentive for winemakers to keep the alcohol beneath 14%. But where are we now? Particularly large, when you go to the grocery store and you buy a wine, it'll be 12 and half and 13 and a half. And that is not by accident. And it's not because they necessarily love everybody. It's because they'll pick grapes at a lower sugar level, which means less flavor, in my opinion. And the result of that is they don't have to pay the tax. But it was increased up to 16%. 
because the problem is in order to get the grapes right with the weather the way it is, you're just going to get higher sugars. Are you telling me that basically what uh, those of us who believe in climate change are seeing happen with the temperatures going up, that that's actually influencing the decision to let wines go out at a higher level of alcohol? That's cool. I think it's bad and it's good. I mean, obviously, we don't want the climate to warm up. That's the terrible part. But that's really super super interesting. I did not know that. It is. It's a good reaction. I'm sure this was a lobbying effort by the larger wineries because they were having difficulty keeping the sugars down and still having flavorful grapes. I mean, it's very obvious when you go to a grocery store and you buy grapes that are hard and sour and don't taste like anything, they were picked too young. Then you get other ones that are really sweet and wonderful tasting. That's because they have high sugar levels. Right. And that's the kind of grape that I pick. I pick the bricks level, the sugar level in the grape. I pick between 24 and 27, whereas most wines were picked between 18 and 22. Right. Yeah, big difference. And, you know, and you will have a lot of people in the wine industry will poo-poo guys like you saying, you know what, you should (laughs) not be picking grapes that ripe. There's a lot of hype about high alcohol. Well, it's mostly about the tax. But anyway, what we do is we pick very ripe grapes. Then we do very long fermentations. And we do it very various techniques in order to keep it running slow. It has to do with temperature and the amount of yeast you use in the first place. And we also don't crush grapes. We de-stem them mostly, but we don't crush them. So it takes a long time with the mechanical punching down that you're doing that it continually opens up new sugar source for the yeast. So the fermentations last between 20 and 40 days. And that brings a whole lot of flavor and components into the wine because they have the juices sat on or been in contact with the skins for that long. Interesting. Hey, listen, we're going to have to take a break here for just a second. Ross Rankin is my guest, was one of my very first guests. So fun to be reunited with you, Ross, and catch up with you and to find out that you have stuck to your guns. You have not fallen to the temptation of running your business in an overly commercialized way. I like that a lot. And I like your label a lot. You have the most scintillating label on the planet. It's Imagine Wine. That is the name of the company out of Buellton, California, in the beautiful San Ynez Valley. Google them and they're on Facebook too. It's, it's just a fun, fun business. Fun wines. I would say these are wines that you can really just have a gas with. And if you are quarantined at home, no, you might want to grab some of them because, well, they're potent. <laughs> Ross, can you hang with me for a second? Absolutely. All right, we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. There was a time not so long ago when our wine choices were a mere fraction of what they are today, which means the possible conversations we can have about wine are endless. That's why it's imperative that we pace ourselves, take a break now and then, and give the folks who make Grape Encounters possible an opportunity to share the amazing things they're doing. David will be right back. David is back. And from the look of things, he's as revved up and as ready as a rodeo bull with an unwanted cowboy on his back. Hmm, bad metaphor. After all, the chances of keeping your wine in the glass while a bull is trying to 86 you from the party are slim to none. So 12 years ago, I see this label, 
on a wine brand from the San Ynez Valley in California. And I said, you know what? That's the most scintillating label on the planet. And it's got an, a very interesting backstory to it. It's for Imagine Wine. I've got the co-founder of Imagine Wine on Ross Rankin. Now, let's talk about the label. It's an unclothed person, but there's a really interesting story about it because if I recall correctly, this was an amazing piece of art. I'm thinking it was in a house in like Malibu or something? It was. We call her Pearl, although that's the name we gave her. And we call her Pearl because she's holding pearls and she is nude, but very tastefully nude. No naughty bits and parts. And the painting was painted uh, by a Hungarian artist in Los Angeles who also painted Bella Lugosi and Gloria Swanson and Clara Bow and a lot of other Hollywood people in the 30s and 40s. And the painting is owned by one of my partners and it hung in a Malibu beach house that his family owned since 1951 and he sold it several years ago. But the painting is in our tasting room, the original, and it's very beautiful and really targeted to women. It's very uh, sensual and we have our on almost all of our wines. You gave me a label when I saw you the first time, and I carried it around in my valise forever. <laughs> and it finally got so tattered that I finally had to throw it away. <laughs> so you're going to have to give you another one. Yeah, I'd like to. Can I get a handful of them to, to last for the rest of my <laughs> life? I'll put them into service. But anyway, yeah, beautiful label and really beautiful wines. As you said, you like to make big reds, and we've got Syrah is a big thing for you, Cabernet Zins. Cabernet in Syrah, we do Sangiovese now, and yeah. a number of others. And, and really what makes us different is everything's an oak, and generally somewhere between a minimum of 30%, but mostly 50 to 60% new oak. We use primarily French and Hungarian, and sometimes that'll be 50-50, although our last cab was 100% French. And what we do that's unusual, most wines are not done in oak at all anymore because of the expense $1,000 for a barrel. But secondarily, they're a hassle to deal with. And we leave our wines anywhere from two years to, we have one that we're going to bottle here very shortly that's been in the barrel eight years. Wow. It's a very long time and very dangerous. I was going to say, it's a, that's, a, that's, a huge, that's a huge gamble. You've got to believe your wine is going to have longevity because if, if it doesn't, you've rolled the dice right into the toilet. That's right. But mostly, we have a wine called Winged Paradise Mountain Syrah, which comes from a vineyard on the eastern side of Lake Conchuma in the San Ynez Valley. Very unusual place. And we've been making that wine a very long time, and we're currently selling the nine, which is 11 years old. And it started, it was six, almost six years in the barrel and five years in the bottle before we released it about two weeks ago. Amazing. You know, and we don't do all of our wines that long, but most of them two to three four years in the barrel, which makes an entirely different wine. And obviously the reason people don't do it is because it's just too expensive in order to leave it in that long. You know, your all your money went out in the beginning and then you got to wait around to sell the wine. But that's why our customers like it is because, you know, we're not afraid of oak. I'm not afraid of the flavor of oak. And if you have a big enough wine, which I talked about earlier about picking grapes right and doing very long fermentations, they are still delightfully fruit forward, except they have all of the complexity that comes from the oak and also from the uh, evaporation and aging and concentration that you get in the barrel. I just want to jump in for a second and just make a, a comment about oak. We very oftentimes will drink a wine and we'll 
you know, if you know what oak tastes like, you say, oh, there's, this has been aged in an oak barrel. You got to really be careful about jumping to conclusions like that because there are a lot of tricks that winemakers use to impart an oak flavor. And by the way, I'm not entirely against it, but, you know, they'll take scraps of oak that were part of the barrel making process that didn't make it to become a barrel stave and they're chopped up in little chunks and they go into little socks and they're inserted into whatever fermentation device is being used and you know it, it imparts that oak flavor but it's not the same as being in an oak barrel and there's a lot of other reasons why you age in a barrel besides just getting the flavor there's the breathing when you have it in a barrel it's evaporating concentrating the wine and also micro oxygenating it and what's happening it's it, you know in a very it's oxidizing and aging the wine in an accelerated fashion so when you leave it for many years if the wine's big enough in the first place and can handle it what's going to happen is you're going to get a wine that like our wine's 11 years old that we just released the paradise mountain but the wine tastes like it's 20 years old now what happens is you just get this incredibly smooth wine but it has flavors and delightful sensations all along your tongue and you just can't get it any other way i love your wines and you are the reason why i encourage people to you know seek out the small boutique winemakers there are thousands and thousands of them out there and they get to do some things on the order of you know really really carefully manipulating the wines in very positive ways that doesn't occur with the big labels and rasa i know that the COVID crisis has been, uh, you know, not bad to you because of your business model. I'm really happy for you that it hasn't kicked your butt. Is that fair to well, say? Well, I think it hasn't because people have been very generous and they have bought from us. And I just hope that other people, whatever their favorite winery is, they should buy directly from them at this point. Yeah. And that's keeping a lot of wineries alive. And even read about small boutique wineries that interest you and, you know, buy a bottle here, a bottle there. It's a good time to experiment. And I really want to say this, that it's a, an amazing time to buy because prices are way down. And I, are you doing free shipping or inexpensive shipping anyway? Yeah, we've got a flat rate shipping now and we're discounting. You know, we've got a 25% discount going at the moment. Yeah. So, you know, we want to encourage people to give us a call and purchase directly. And our website, imaginewine.com, is where you get the phone number and can see the wines. And by the way, it wasn't meaning to turn this in any way into a commercial for anybody. But I, right now, I want people to... You know, support the boutique winemakers out there. This is how they survive. And there's some great opportunity to drink some really great wines at really great prices. If people are not discounting the shipping down to something nominal, they're even, I think, in many cases, giving it away for free. So there's that. And also the fact that in most cases, there are huge discounts on great wines right now. And when this is all over, that's going to go away. As I said, there's hundreds of wineries and there's, you know, there's small ones that some of them are, are really, really struggling. If your listeners have a favorite winery, you know, just call them and order a couple of bottles of wine and help them out at this particular time. Because if they're like us, where they rely on their tasting room, they're essentially out of business until this is all over. All right. So we are going to have to call it quits there, but uh, you can go to imaginewine.com or find them on Facebook. That's correct. I sure appreciate it, Ross. I'll get down to see you when I can get within uh, six feet of you, okay? Great. David, thank you very much. I so much appreciate your having uh, someone as small as us on. But I do think our wines are interesting and different, and it's really great to have the opportunity to talk with you. You bet. We are going to head up now to Sonoma County. We're going to talk to a guy who's making really great wines up there, but boy, has he had his share of bad luck. Talk about, you know, having to overcome a lot of obstacles. That's going to be next on Grape Encounters. 
times an hour, we pause for a couple of minutes so that we can pass the microphone over to the wonderful people who support our weekly wine conversations. They make this show very special, so please give them your undivided attention. If you don't, we may decide not to share the good stuff with you. We'll be back before you know it. We're back with more Grape Encounters. Hey, please do us an enormous favor and like us on Facebook. It's the very best way to learn about other opportunities that we may not share on the broadcast. Also, join our mailing list on GrapeEncounters.com. Listeners on our contact list receive some exclusive opportunities. Become an insider. Enough said. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio. And, you know, we all feel very, very unlucky having to shelter in place for a long, long time. I am in week, uh, I think I'm going on week eight now because our county was one of the first to have a shelter in place order. But, you know, if you think you've got bad luck, <laughs> I, I shouldn't be laughing. But my next guest is he is the embodiment of the phrase. If it weren't for bad luck, uh, I wouldn't have any luck at all. His name is Sam Lando, Lando Wines, fantastic pinots from Sonoma County. And Sam, welcome to the show. Hey, David. Good to hear from you, and thank you very much. We're excited to be with you today. Well, I'm, I'm excited to have you. How I came upon you is that I was made aware of an article about you that was talking about how the last four years have treated you very, very badly. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, of course, people who are familiar with what's been going on up in Sonoma certainly probably have an idea about some of the problems. But boy, you had fire and then fire and then fire and now the coronavirus. Let's run it down for a second. I mean, it really demonstrates just how vulnerable wineries can be. You know, it, it really does. And, uh, you know, even though I've, I've never served uh, any time in the military, I have incredible respect for those who have and are. But there is a credo that I live by, and that is adapt, improvise, and overcome. And whether that's Navy SEALs, Marines, uh, it, it very much kind of is the embodiment of what we've had to go through between losing a vintage in the Tubbs Fire in 2017 uh, the winery that we were making our wines at completely burned to the ground, Paradise Ridge, and it was one of the, the few wineries between Napa and Sonoma County to be that uh, decimated by everything Gosh, going on. I, I know, and that, uh, that was a that was a terrible story. I remember the day that that happened, and it made my skin crawl. Of course, I didn't know you then, but wow, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was one of those experiences where you know by three thirty in the morning we had about twenty adults in our house and kids, and dog, cats, and birds. And it was like we got slapped back to the 1920s. I mean, we were scrounging to find an AM radio because we had no internet, no TV, and a lot of smoke. And you were you were pretty much, you know, we were listening to the radio, AM radio, to try and catch what was going on. And it seemed even that was very inaccurate. So we were resorting to you know driving around every half an hour, 45 minutes, to see where the fire actually was. And it was burning in three different spots. Wow, so was, I, I know. It was, it was it, I, had, I had so many friends that were caught up in that. And of course, I'm sure you did as well because you've been up there for a really long time. We'll move on to uh, happier times. The next two years fires again, but this time yeah, exactly. nothing, nothing burns down, but it, it certainly impacts your, your business. And explain that for a sec. It did, you know, and then, you know, with all the devastation that happened in the, the, uh, the campfire, which took out that, that poor 
poor town in, in Chico area, uh, that we had the misfortune of having that smoke billow entirely into Sonoma County. So we had health warnings. Uh, we had to almost shelter in place for a month uh, to some extent on and off because the smoke here was so bad. So it, you know, talk about PTSD. I mean, a year later, we, we've got this massive smoke issue, almost like it's burning here, which was really, really tough to, to bear through. And then you know, we get into 2019, and then we actually have to evacuate the northern end of the county. 200,000 people being told to evacuate. The good thing was our fire and protection services did such an incredible job. I mean, it was like a World War II military mission where they actually held the fire at bay in the town of Windsor, which is right in the, the heart of the Russian River Valley here. And it was was nothing short of a, a miracle uh, between the wind changing direction and the frontline firefighters keeping everything at bay. But having three years of that consistent, you know, talking with folks on the southeast and east coast, they thought all of California had burned into the ocean. I mean, this was finally the, the nail in the often and we were set a seat and and it's it, it was it's been a toil uh, we don't have a taste room we're not open to the public but those folks who have wineries that have tasting rooms or restaurants or anything in the hospitality industry here has been struggling to try and tell people communicate the message we're okay we're alive yeah, business is good i think Come that's here. that's such an important thing to stress obviously we can't travel right now and i mean talk about what a huge huge bummer for Napa and Sonoma, so many people you know, just stopped going there because they had this idea that the entire region had burned to the ground, which if, if you right. go up there, you don't see any evidence of fire practically any place, but they've had a real tough time. You guys have had a tough time rebuilding tourism, and Absolutely. now here we've got this absolutely picture-perfect season, <laughs> great weather, incredible oh, rains. Yeah perfect growing conditions and you know we're all dressed up and there's no place to go i, I just oh, I, exactly. I, I can't believe how badly conditions have hit napa and sonoma it's just it's it's frightful it's it's a whopper and and for us i mean the, the tough thing is you know like i mentioned no tasting room you know not open to public we only sell our wines twice a year and that's that's mostly to our mailing list friends people that go to the website and sign up and it's a small limited allocation. We, we allocate every single bottle of wine that we make. But for us, 20% of that I hold for restaurants. I have nine distributors across the country just to get wine into restaurants. Yeah. Guess what? The restaurant industry is reeling right now. So there's no, that part of our business is kind of flushed down the toilet for the next few months. And that's our revenue between April and July. So, you know, trying to pivot and figure that out and keep everything within the accordance of who we are as a brand, that's been one hell of an adjustment. And then secondarily, how are people going to feel about buying high-end wines when it comes to the fall? There is certainly a lot to be said about, you know, we, we can overcome as a country, as a nation, as a county, one major crisis at a time. I feel that we're really good at that. But when you employ two of them, economic crisis and also a pandemic, that becomes a big problem. Yeah, and I mean, it's hard it, for people this, to figure that out. This week alone, I believe there have been over 4 million new unemployment claims across the yeah, country exactly. and and people who are being devastated in this way and so many people will not have jobs to return to because lots of businesses yeah. are going to go under those are people who were you know not just wine customers but customers of you know restaurants every kind of business you know the shoe exactly. store down the street the the hair salon mm -hmm. where they got a hundred dollar makeover it's, definitely it's, it's just really hard to imagine what we're going to see here um, in the coming year. I hope it, uh, you know, I don't want to think uh, gloom and doom at all. I don't. Exactly. Um, I agree. It, it's about, it's about really, you know, I, I like to acknowledge what's going on and I'm not, even though I feel like it occasionally, I, I do not, we don't lay down. I mean, everything that we have experienced taught and reinforces persevere, keep moving. We, we are not going to lay down and take this 
quietly and go into the night into slumber. Let's let's push forward. Let's let's hold hands, social distancing wise, to to really change and embrace and and really double down on relationships. Even though we can't hug and kiss, we can still connect. There are ways to connect, and there are ways we can do this. And we we lost seventeen wine auction charity events this year all across the country. And is that, is that right? Se- seventeen of them. Yeah. Wow. And, and and wine dinners as well. So that's really how we build our mailing list of customers. And that, that technically is 300 to 400 people that are off the board for who we're hoping and projecting was going to buy our wines in conjunction with our current list members in the fall. So we are pivoting, creating plan B and plan C and figuring out how to move forward, how to do it better, how to connect with people in a meaningful and true and real way as, as to how we've always done it. But now we're forced to do things a little bit more creatively and to do it in a better fashion. You know, it's been really, truly amazing to watch how wineries have, you know, put on their thinking cap to be a little cliche <laughs> to go back to mm-hmm. grade school, mm-hmm. hey, but, but, but have conceived of all kinds of ways to connect with their customers, even though they can't connect face to face. And it's really been, there are so many different things that people are doing. You and I were talking the other day about a mutual friend of ours, uh, and that is Jean-Charles Boisset, who, uh, who <laughs> Absolutely. is one of the most colorful and forward-thinking, innovative, creative uh, people I've ever seen. And I-, I tell you something, it seems like every day, I get a new press release about, you know, some, you know, new idea that he's come up with to keep the ball rolling. And he's got a lot uh, riding on this because, you know, they've got several wineries and they're big ones. But, you know, absolutely. But it's fun to watch people like you and like him and so many winemakers that I know who refuse to lay down and they just go, you know what? It's the world is changing. We've got to change. That's all there is to exactly. It. Yeah, it's true, and 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 it's it's been it's been as you mentioned, it's been really inspiring over the years when I see some of the programs and some of the things that John Charles is doing, uh, where he you know for arguably a larger company, usually you don't see larger companies yes uh, making the amount of wines and having the staffing and the, the wherewithal that they have. You know, they're not exactly a Titanic, but it's a little bit harder to take a right turn when you're a larger ship. Well, they're they're pretty good. They are, they're pretty good size operation. Nimble. You know, they're they're Raymond. They are. They're Raymond brand is huge. But it's funny because, you know, you're so right about what you're saying. Jean-Charles has this way of being intimate with every single customer, even though there's hundreds of thousands of them. And that's really cool. Hey, Sam, will you stay with me for a second? We're going to come back. We're going to talk more. We'll get uh, we'll get Absolutely. we'll get on to the positive things here on the next one. But, you know, we, we it's, it's good for people to understand what's going on. And, you know, we're all living in a little shell right at the moment. And we're going to uh, get you out of that shell here on Grape Encounters with my guest, Sam Lando of Lando Wines in Sonoma. And um, great, great Pinots. If you're a Pinot lover, you'll love Sam and his wines. We'll be back in a second. with my special guest, Sam Lando of Lando Wines in Sonoma. Uh, the company started by Sam and his wife, Jennifer. And, and Sam, how many years are we talking about? So you haven't been at it that long, but you've been in the wine business a super long time. Yeah, we started our brand in 2012, at least the, the formation and, and 
fine grapes and starting to make wine that vintage. But we didn't start offering that wine until 2014. But I have been in the industry, gosh, it was about 18 years leading up to that. So uh, what is that? Almost seven or eight years we've been going for Lando Wines and uh, large corporate side starting out directly out of college. Uh, and those guys taught me the ins and outs of everything from uh, janitorial services through strategic planning and marketing and sales, Behringer Wine Estates and Allied Demac, hospitality, great, great folks, uh, good, dear families of people. Uh, and then I started working for small little high-end mom and pop brands. I was with William Sellium for about three and a half, uh, three years as our director of sales and marketing, a wonderful little Pinot Noir brand here in the Russian River Valley. And then uh, these two knuckleheads, uh, Dan Costa and Michael Brown. Great wines. Uh, good friends. Great wines. Great wines. Yeah, great uh, wines. Brought yeah. me on as their director of marketing and sales, and we applied some rocket fuel and took that thing to new levels. And I was with them for just about five and a half, six years. Uh, but it had hobby wine made, made wine with friends and family, and uh, the, the atypical kind of story where things just exploded. And as we got into 2012, it was really, uh, you know, I was looking at all the barrels as I was getting ready to sanitize and clean and test. And we had about 18 barrels. And I was going, you know what, this is, wow, I, I think we're beyond a hobby. And with the blessing of my wife and kids, we all agreed, you know, let's do this. You know, I can do everything I've done for everybody else, but I could do it for us and we can put our name on the label. And I expressed, you know, listen, this this is going to be a roller coaster. We're going to have ups, we're going to have downs. Uh, we will seek, you know, a couple of investors to help out, but at least we're going to be doing this for us. And it has yeah. been, it has truly been a freaking roller coaster. But to be able to be in charge of our own destiny, to do what I know is right, from wine quality to marketing to the story to what we're doing. Every day, I feel so incredibly energized, even when it is some of the most fearful things that are going on. There is opportunity to do things better and greater and really just connect with people. I've never felt a need to push our wines on anybody. They're, they either like them or not. I, I enjoy fresh fruit, intensity, and, and elegance in what we do with our Pinot Noirs and our Chardonnays. And, you know, man, I'm, I'm fortunate that when people People try them, David. You know, they go, "Wow, these are these are stunning." So it's it's fun to share the story and for me to get in front of people and to see the joy and elation when they try a wine. That's an exhilarating point for me. So I almost wow. didn't have you on because, as uh, uh, most of my listeners know, I'm not a big Pinot fan. <laughs> and in my own uh, wine tasting room, I keep the Pinots with the white wines to punish them. And I, and you and I laughed <laughs> about this. And, but the the fun yep. th- but the fun thing is is that what I don't like about certain Pinots is the same thing that you don't like about certain Pinots. And I, it was so cool to have somebody that was Pinot Simpatico with me, <laughs> that forest floor, musty, ugh, you know, I don't like that. And, uh, and you hear that all the time, you know, rotting leaves on forest floor. Yeah, that sounds delicious. What if that was on a menu in a restaurant? Uh, it's a gag reflex. It's a filet mignon served on rotting leaves from a forest floor <laughs> covered in a delicious <laughs> funky Bernays sauce. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. And that's that. that is truly mushroom smell, forest floor, sweaty sock. Those are not things I ever want to put in my mouth. I mean, when I say fresh fruit, I mean, it's, there are sanitizing things you can do for your barrels, the the, the, the process and cleanly aspect. And, and it's, it's, it's laborious. It takes time. It takes attention to detail. And some people really dig that. It's amazing how some people really like that. And then no, no, they do. I tell they do. They the really time, do. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy, so, try, try everything, you know, because you're not going to know if something truly sucks unless you try it. And if you enjoy it, man, go after it and enjoy it. Yeah, that, well, that is, that's one of the most enjoyable things about wine. There are millions of flavors for people to embrace and like and or dislike and find something they really right. love. Well, let's, let's not forget that there are people who like liver and onions. 
<laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> that is what, is, what is wrong with those people? So I got it. We don't have a lot of time, but I want to ask you a couple of questions. You were just talking about that funky characteristic that you often find in Pinos, a lot of Pinos that you you don't like and I don't like. And you attribute it in part to sanitation practices. Why is it that Pinot is so much more susceptible to taking on that funky characteristic as opposed to other varietals? What's going on there? I think that, you know, Pinot Pino is, is often referred to as one of the, it's the heartbreak grape. I mean, it is finicky in the vineyard. It is thin skinned. It's got a lot of pulp to it. So there are a thousand things that can happen in the vineyard and during the growing season that can either positively or negatively affect those vines. Cabernet, Syrah, Rhone varietals, Bordeaux varietals, thicker skins, smaller berries, not as tightly clustered as Pinot. So they aren't as susceptible to a lot of weird variances that can happen in the vineyard. I see. But we're also talking about in the winery too. Same thing in the winery. I mean, it is such a malleable grape. It is susceptible. They're magicians as it relates to chemistry and biology that can curve wines in particular directions. But you know, one of the things that I've found out over time and through a bunch of other wineries, Pinot brands we've worked with, Pinot Noir is really susceptible to sulfur. You add excessive amounts of sulfur, it bonds to it differently. So a lot of folks try to make Pinot Noir the same way they make Cabernet or Syrah. And if you rack X amount of times and add excessive amounts of sulfur, it really binds in and creates some weird flavors. But what I've seen is when there are barrels that haven't been thoroughly sanitized or old barrels that are even harder to sanitize, you get more of those musty characteristics. And again, some people dig that. Some people like it. Some people, that's how they've done it and made wine for many, many years. But we try very hard not to do that. We we use 45 to 50% new French oak every year. And we have a very rigorous sanitation regime that we do with our barrels. Sam, I got to jump in because we've run out the clock here. Go for it. I did want to say one thing, though. You had mentioned that you make Chardonnay as well. And I I always want to remind people periodically that where there's good Pinot, there's good Chardonnay. And and every once in a while, people will ask, well, why why is that? And the answer is, the answer is something that not very many people know. And that is that Pinot is the love child of Chardonnay, right? Absolutely. And and then the other other grape, I forget the name of the other grape. Um, Do you remember? It's like some really offbeat, Uh, weird, uh, it's one I can't pronounce. So nobody ever remembers this grape because it's not around anymore. I've always had as the Burgundian varietals as as Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Anyway, I just wanted to make that point that if you're tasting really good Pinot from somebody, there's a pretty good chance they're making Chardonnay, as is the case with Lando Wines, and it's going to be good Chardonnay. Sam, for people real quick that want to know more about your wines and hopefully uh, be be able to order them from you, we go to LandoWines.com. Is that correct? That is correct. Plural, LandoWines.com. Folks that join our mailing list, we, we have offerings that go out twice a year, and we try to allocate every single bottle of wine that we can. About 80% of what we produce goes to our mailing list, and then that other remaining 20% to a few select restaurants across the country. Okay, well, listen, we got to call it quits for the day, Sam, but uh, folks, you know, maybe someone else's bad luck could be your good luck, and you could get on the Lando list. And if you do, you're going to have some mighty fine wine. Sam, I appreciate uh, you being on, and I I hope life treats you guys a little bit better, not just you, but uh, all of our friends in Sonoma County, and love you guys, love your wines, and say goodbye to everybody. Uh, Thank you, my friend. We really appreciate it. Hey, we are doing well, and when people are able to get out and travel, don't forget to come see us here in the Russian River Valley in Sonoma County, and keep pushing forward. There's a smile on our face, and we'll all get through this together. Yep. Prettiest place on earth, just about, except uh, for the interior of my studio. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters this week. (laughs) Hey, next week, we got Peter Mondavi Jr. on. Man, oh man, talk about the big dogs. Here on Grape Encounters Radio, we'll talk to you then. 